Well, we're going to go through this quickly, I hope. This is our fourth lesson in our series on worship. And so far, we've talked about the necessity of, the necessity of worship, how God requires us to take time to worship him for who he is. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our job is to bring, declare the praises of God. John 4.23 and 4 says, Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And then we talked about worshiping God through music. Psalm 150 verse 3, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Psalm 33, 1, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on a ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Then we talked about worshiping just because God's presence is here. You walk into, the, into God's house, and the first thing we talked about is you sense God's presence, but then last week we clarified that because even if you don't feel like it, God's still here. If you walk in grumbling, complaining, God's still here. If the band plays excellently, or if the band plays eh, God's still here. We can still worship him. Remember our definition, worship is the response of man when he encounters God or God's actions. Then we talked about worship having to cost something. Worship isn't only the music part, and it's not only the giving part. It's every part of our lives throughout the day, 24-7, all of the things that we do should mean something to us and should cost us something to worship. We use 2 Samuel 24 it says, this is David building an altar, he says, but the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Our worship, our lives should, should cost, it should enable us to enter in at a cost to us. Romans 12:1. therefore I urge you brothers in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. All the things that we do, it, should be a, it shouldn't be something that we don't want to do. I told the teens today, when we worship God, we should do it out of a heart, that we want to do it. Rather than, I gotta go to church, I gotta worship, I gotta do this, I don't wanna do it, but I'm gonna do it. Our heart should be one that we can't wait to get into God's presence and we want to be able to sacrifice, we wanna give of ourselves to worship God. Now, the second, this last part of worship, I think, is our reverence and study of God's word. Psalm 33, 1 says this, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. But the verse right after that says this, For the word of the Lord is right and true. We worship God, we sing praises to God because of God's word. Our study of God's word should be an act of worship. It should be time that we spent studying him, knowing him, 
that is part of worship. Knowing who or whom, I'm not an English guy, whom you're worshiping. When Jesus was praying for his disciples in John 17, he says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. In John 20, or 424 again, it says, worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. If God's word is truth, then part of our worship should be knowing what God's word says about it. How else can we worship if we don't understand and know what God's word says about worship? We need to know what God says about it, and the only way to find that is through his word. We talked about earlier worshiping him in spirit, meaning all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we have in us should be able to worship God. But to worship in truth demands that we have a reverence for God's word, a desire to know it. Now, I wasn't in the service, but when you're in the service and you're away, don't you cherish letters from home when you get from your significant other? You want to get letters. When I was in college, this is, you know, before any kind of electronics, I would go to my mailbox every day looking for some letter at the time from my girlfriend or from my friends at home. I just couldn't wait to get there. And every time I would get something in the mail, I'd spend hours reading it and then reread it and then read it again. When we study God's word, that's how we should be. We should be excited about reading it. But, uh, someone's referred to God's word as God's love letter to you. When you read it, imagine God's writing this letter just to you. And he wants to speak to you through his word, so we should really cherish it. We should spend time as we worship knowing God's word. Each of us has a relationship with Christ because somewhere, somehow, God's word spoke to you. It wasn't an emotional thing. It might have been at the time, but it was emotion prompted by God's word. We don't have a relationship strictly because of the emotion that we have, but we have it because of the emotion based on the truth of God's word. Now, we know the story of Nehemiah. He was sent back to Jerusalem after that captivity. He was going to rebuild the gates and the wall around the city. Nehemiah 1.3 says this. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He gets his burden to go back to rebuild these walls. And when he goes back, what happened? Nehemiah 8 verse 1. It says, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read aloud from it until daybreak, until noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listen attentively to the book of the law. Now we're going to skip to verse 6 and it says this. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. And they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Why did they do that? Because they were now experiencing, they heard God's word for the first time in a long time. Now, I like what it says here. They were there from daybreak, which is what? 6 o'clock, 
until noon. Just hearing someone read God's word. Now, I'm not a radio voice kind of guy. I don't imagine Nehemiah was either, or Ezra. Anybody want to come out at 5.30 in the morning and stay until noon, and I will simply read to, to you from God's word. Anyone want to do that? These folks did it. They had not had God's word in so long, and they now realized the importance of it, and they listened. And once they heard God's word, what they do? Their response was worship. The response to God's word was worship. When they listened to the importance of it, they bowed down and worshiped God with their faces to the ground. To them and to us, listening to God's word in itself, reading God's word in itself is an act of worship. When you study God's word, when you listen to it, when you read commentaries about it, you dig into it, that is all part of worship. That's all understanding who God is. And when we read some truth in God's word that applies to you at that moment, how do you feel? What's your response to that? How many of you, have, and I've done this on several occasions, I'll read a couple chapters and then one verse just sticks with me. It just grabs me at that moment. You know, the Bible says that we hear his voice, we're his sheep, we know his voice, we hear it. I think a lot of times, rather than something audible, when you read a verse and it just sticks with you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you through that verse. And when you hear that and you realize that the God of the universe is drawing your attention to one verse because that verse at that moment is for you, man, you should want to worship because realize that God has taken the time out to speak to you on this one verse because he knows you need it. And the response from that should be one of worship. Imagine if someone very important were to come to your house and, and share something with you. They're taking their time up, they're denying everything else, and they're coming to you to share something that you need at that moment. And what's your, what's your response? Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time for me. And when God does that with his word through a particular verse or two, our response should be, thank you, Jesus. I, want, I worship you because you're speaking to me through your word. When you study God's word and you find some nugget of truth that lifts you up or relieves you of some stress or anxiety, the response should be one of gratitude and one of wanting to worship God. Psalm 34, 18, or Psalm 34, 17 says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and delivers them from all of their troubles. How many are excited when you hear that type of a verse? When God speaks, so I'm trying to read through the Psalms again, so these are, a lot of these are Psalms. When God speaks a word to you through these through scriptures, it encourages you. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You ever feel brokenhearted? You ever feel crushed because of things in your life? The Bible says the Lord is close to you. He's close to how you feel. He knows how you feel. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's word is meant to encourage us on a daily basis. It's meant to challenge us. It's meant to grow us and mature us. 
God's word is a blessing to us because we have the written word of God that's speaking to us about how to live life. It's there to encourage you. It's there to lift you up. How can you apply any of this to your life if you don't know what it says? If you, can't, if you don't read it and you don't study it and you don't, or you're not able to apply it to your life, how can your relationship with God grow? We, when I do the teens, we always pray before we start, and invariably the prayer will be, you know, pray for school. No one likes school. But isn't school meant to prepare you for life? It's meant to make you a better adult, train you to be an adult, and the things that you have to study in those classes are there to train you, and they don't do you any good unless you study them and, and grow in them and, and take them to heart. And when you're done, most of us who graduate are glad we graduated. We're glad we finished high school. We're glad we finished college. And even though at the time it felt strenuous and hard to do, didn't want to do it, but you knew that by studying it was going to prepare you to be a better adult. When you study God's word, it may not be the most exciting thing you do at that moment. But as you study it and you realize that God is speaking to you through his word, through one of those two verses that God speaks to you, you are training yourself, you're preparing yourself for what happens later. The time, and it's like cramming for a test. The time to, to not all of a sudden start praying is when bad things happen. You should pray and have a deep relationship with God when things are going right. So that when things, if they go wrong, you're already set. You've already got that relationship. You're close to Christ and as these things happen, the stress isn't there. The worry isn't there. Why? Because you already have that relationship through the knowledge of God's word. If you wait until the hardship comes and you don't have any scripture in your mind that God can bring back, that's when the worry and the fear come in. God wants us to study his word in a, in a manner that prepares us, just like school does, it prepares us for life. Sometimes when we read how sinful we really are in God's word and how much God has forgiven us, doesn't that cause you to worship? Psalm 32 says, Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who re whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Sometimes we, I think we forget how sinful human beings are. You hear constantly through the news that people are genuinely good. Well, the Bible says that no one is good, correct? Only one. And so when we look at our life, we realize how much God has forgiven us. Our response should be one of thankfulness. Romans 3.23, we know this, the Roman road. It says, for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. God was being entirely fair and just when he did not punish those who sinned in former times. And he's entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight. How? Because 
they believe in Jesus. How can we really understand how much God has forgiven us and how much we really need Jesus to forgive us unless we read God's word to tell us how sinful we have been and continue to be. Even as believers, we blow it. We sin consistently. And yet, I've said this before, God knew it even before he saved us. He knew how much we were going to blow it from the time we get saved to the time we die. And he still saved us. I love John 15. I think it says that Jesus told his disciples, you didn't pick me, I picked you. God looked down on your life and he saw something in your life that's valuable, something that's worthwhile, and he chose you. The Bible says no one comes to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. That's God picking you. So when you looked and you read God's word and you realize, man, how wicked I was and yet God picked me. All these things are learned by studying God's word and it causes us to worship. How can we worship in truth if we don't know what truth is? Psalm 119.30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. John 18.37 says, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, the reason, and for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What this means is you really can't have true worship unless you know the truth. You can't really enter into God's presence. I mean, the music might be great, the band might be perfect, singers are perfect, but you're not worshiping if you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. There's a verse I've heard evangelists say, all spirit we blow up, all word, and we dry up. A good combination of both, a combination of both, we grow up. God's word helps us in times when we don't feel like worshiping. Psalm 40 verse one says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to sand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. The psalmist didn't feel like worshiping. God picked him up and allowed him to have the spirit and the truth to worship. Now we know that God's word is not just about ancient history, right? It's not just a, a history book. It's a book that's meant to be alive today. We study from it, we learn from it, but we know that it's not just a dead book that happened years ago. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is what? Living and active. So when you read God's word, you study God's word, it's alive and its truth sinks into your heart. You know, the Bible, we use this phrase a lot that God's word does not return void. What does that mean? That means it'll stay in your mind. You may not ever use it, you may not need it, but at the minute you need it, God brings it back. When Jesus said to the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. I will give you the words to say. That's exactly what he means. He, when, when you need something, you need something from God's word, and you've studied it, God will bring it back to your mind. God will give you the scripture. 
God will tell you where to find it. And if you're like me, John MacArthur calls me a concordance cripple. How many know what that is? It's where you're dependent on the concordance. You remember the verse, you just can't remember where it's found. Well, now you have Google. And you just type in any part of that verse, and man, you'll get it right away. Technology is great when you use it right. But the point is, God will bring the verse back to your mind. He'll bring something back enough that you can find it and apply it to your life. But I've heard someone say, God does not work in a vacuum. You got to study it first. You got to read it first. He's not going to bring something back to your mind that you've never read. The true measuring rod for our worship should not be tradition, culture, or experiences. The measuring rod for worship should always be God's word. It's possible to have a very exuberant, emotional time of worship and for that type to go on for years out of a spirit of truth. However, as it goes on for years, does it still hold the same reverence in your heart that it did when it first started? What do I mean by that? Maybe you were raised in a, in a Pentecostal church and you're, you're familiar with raising your hands, you're familiar with clapping, you're familiar maybe even with dancing and all that stuff. Do you do it because you are convinced that it's truth or do you do it because someone else told you that's what we do? If you come in and raise your hands and you have no idea why you're raising your hands and if you're clapping but you have no idea why you're clapping, you just might be at a concert and not a worship time. Generations over time that start out solid in God's word, if you're not careful, will drift into tradition. You do it because you've always done it. But you don't know why you do it. And when you do things without knowing why you do them, You've lost all the meaning behind the things that you do. That's why it's vital for each believer to have a full understanding from God's word about how, why, when we worship. Do we worship because everybody else is doing it? Or do we worship because we do it? How many times have you heard preachers say, don't look at the people around you worshiping. Don't look at anybody else. You worship yourself. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is doing. It only matters what you are doing. If the person is over there jumping and clapping, great. If that's not you, that's okay. You worship in spirit and in truth. But you do it because you know why you do it, not because someone else is telling you to do it. When we raise hands, we know it's an act of surrender. God, I surrender. I am yours. 1 Timothy 2.8 says... I want every, men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. When we bow, we recognize our glorious God is, as compared to us, Philippians 2.9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We kneel before God because we know how great he is. Ephesians 3.14, when I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees and pray to my Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. 
when we clap or show our excitement about who God is and what he means to us. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. They have meaning and purpose behind what we do. Singing, why do we sing? Ephesians 5.19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Chronicles 5.12, all the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jadithan, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeteers and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other, other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord, singing, he is good, his love endures forever. We sing because God has set precedent for singing. What happened to these folks as they were singing? Skip down to the next verse. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. When we truly worship in spirit, which is excitement, emotion, all that kind of stuff, and we worship, combine that with truth. We do it with, in accordance with God, what God's word says, the precedent God's word set for us. When we do it with both combined, we can be assured that God's presence will fill this place. God's presence will fill your lives. I mentioned earlier that God's presence is here regardless of if we feel it or not. But we want to feel it. We want to have that experience. We want to experience God. We're, you know, it's what Pentecostals do. We like that kind of stuff. But we need to make sure that our excitement doesn't overshoot God's word. Because God's word always takes precedent over emotion and excitement. It doesn't mean you can't have them both. It just means you have them in balance. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? We come into God's house for just a set time on a Sunday or a Wednesday night because we want to really have a relationship with Christ. We want to hear what God's word says. We want to express our appreciation to God through our singing and through our giving and through our service. And both of them combined together help us to grow and mature and prepare us for whatever might come tomorrow morning. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe, the God of the universe. The Bible says, who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who are we that God should care about us? But the truth is God cares about each person individually. And each purpose each person here has a purpose for being here today. And maybe something that was said, sung, done, prayed for. But every person God speaks to and God ministers to do in the service if our spirits are open to what he wants to do. Maybe you're here this morning, this is your first time here. 
or maybe you've been in this church forever, the question is still the same. Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. The reason you're a Christian is because you have a relationship with Christ, your sins have been forgiven, you've acknowledged them and you've asked Christ to forgive you and come in to your life. If you've done that, praise God. But if you haven't done that, that's the reason you're here. That's the purpose God brought you in this morning. So you could hear God's word. And God's word is what changes you. It's not me. It's not the music. It's God's word applied through his Holy Spirit that changes you. Who makes you have that relationship. If you feel that draw, if you feel that nudge in your spirit, that's God drawing you in. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, saying, I want that relationship with you, but you have to open the door. If you feel that, God, that draw, that's because God wants you. God's chosen you. But you have to say yes. If that's you and you want to say, yes, Jesus, yes, I want to be forgiven, yes, I want to have that relationship, yes, I want to know God better, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to assume that all of us here are committed followers of Christ. But even the most senior follower of Christ needs to continue in a study of God's word. As one scholar put it, God's word is deep enough that the best theologian will never be overwhelmed. And it's also shallow enough to minister to the youngest Christian. But it only works if you take the time to read it and study it and know it, but then to apply it to your life. The Bible says if we're, if we're hearers of God's word only, but we don't do it, we're fooling ourselves. We need to put into action that which we know to do. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us your great and precious promises. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for every truth that your word has for us and how it ministers to us and draws us in and does what only your word can do in our lives on a daily basis. I pray for each person here that God, they would have that the Holy Spirit draw them into a desire to know your word more, realizing that the study of your word is as much an act of worship as singing a song on Sunday morning. Because to worship you correctly, we need to know what your word says first. Father, I pray your blessings upon each person today. Allow the word of God to sink into their heart and their mind. Change them, Lord, from the inside out. And we will thank you for what you're doing and what you continue to do in each believer's life. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Have a tremendous week. Don't forget God's word. Study it. And VBS meeting here. Go pick up your children. 
and come on back for our quick VBS meeting.